This is What Next, the future fiction podcast exploring tomorrow through the stories of today. Utopia, dystopia, time travel, the apocalypse, from aliens to zombies and everything in between. Every episode is a new future. Would you rather feel other people's physical sensations or Mm. feel other people's emotions? Ooh, okay. That's a good one. See, I think I'd want to pick feelings, like mm-hmm, emotional mm-hmm. feelings, because I'm that person, that anxious person who's like, if you send me a one-word text, I'm like, why are you mad at me? What's oh, going on? yeah, okay. <laughs> so if I knew that they were they were not mad at me, then you know that would relieve a lot of my day-to-day stress. Mm-hmm. However, I also think in the same breath, it would give you a lot of stress. If you actually like, because sometimes you're mad at someone, but you know it's irrational, so you yeah. don't say anything. Whereas imagine if you knew when someone's mad at you, even if it is irrational, you're going to feel that. Sometimes. Yeah, and if you can feel that they're mad at you, it's going to make you mad as well because you're yeah. taking on that feeling. There's no conflict resolution there. Someone's no. got to be calm, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think that would be really tough. So I think I'd have to go with the feeling there, physical pain mm. and whatnot. I mean, you couldn't be a doctor because if someone's screaming in pain, like you're not going to be able to then scream in pain and also help. But you could be like... A good advisor. Like, imagine if some, like, because some people can't talk, right? Like, kids and babies and old people or people who have, like, verbally can't Mm -hmm. communicate. So it would be really cool to be able to be like, the pain is here and it feels like this. Oh, yeah. Okay. Be the conduit, like an interpreter. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's it. You've you've found very altruistic (laughs) angles both times. You've been like, I would either resolve conflict or help nonverbal people speak to doctors. I'm just a. World peace. That's all I want. for you. A solid answer. Let's get into it. I'm Carl. I'm Becca. And I am going to be telling you all about The Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler. Have you heard of it before? I have not. Not apart from when you've mentioned it to me. Sure. But that's it. Yeah. Well, I only heard of it recently. It came out in 1993. Oh, wow. uh, But it became a bestseller last year, I think, 2021. That's so surprising. It is. Until you start reading it. Okay. (laughs) This is one of those types of texts that we haven't particularly read, I don't think, for this podcast before. Because it's the type of future fiction that is very clearly a warning, right? We've, I think, read stuff that is kind of satirical, like last Mm -hmm. time with Don't Look Up. We've looked at stuff that, that is a bit more out of a timeline, like a non-specified future that's playing with an idea, we've read kind of playful things. There is no playfulness or humour about (laughs) this book whatsoever. (laughs) And it's quite a near future as well. So it's written in uh, 1993, like I say. The book is set between 2024 and 2027. Oh, wow. I mean, that's really close to us now, but that still would have been close then as well. That feels very soon now, right? Yeah. And the crises in this... It's not quite post-apocalyptic. Society is still up and running and functioning. There's been no mass extinction event. But there is extreme weather, largely driven by climate change. The book is set in California, I think, and it's very, very hot. There is extreme inflation. 
okay. driven by successive governments pushing okay. free market economics okay. and deregulation. You're talking about the book, right? I'm not just giving it. <laughs> now you are starting to see yeah, why right. it might have become a bestseller mm-hmm. quite mm-hmm. recently. <laughs> the extreme inflation has caused extreme poverty and there is a lack of resources so uh, water in particular is extremely scarce water is very very expensive there are several scenes in this where there's one group of people who have become pyros they like take drugs and set fire to things and if they hit your group that's a really difficult thing to deal with because Water is so expensive to put out the fire, but it's still Mm. cheaper than calling the fire brigade and using their water if the fire brigade turn up because of this level of privatization and inflation and deregulation. It's a very explicitly political book because these things are all the result of governmental choices. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, in fact, when the book starts, a new president has been elected and he or she is is claiming to try and solve this crisis through more free market deregulation, (laughs) let the markets resolve everything, you know? Yeah. So it's very, very clearly angled that way. Within this sort of falling apart society, it feels so unnerving to read it because Mm. the community that we focus on is within some walls and most of the awful stuff is going on outside of their walls but they know that they're lucky to be in kind of a walled community okay if they step outside the walls there's almost a certainty of mugging of rape of murder like this stuff is bad you know okay yeah and it's really bleak (laughs) reading the first few chapters of this is just it hits so hard because it feels so near future and it feels mm. so similar to so many of the crises that we're facing now. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that kind of a future? Because like I say, we, we haven't really dealt with that before. For me, I progressed very slowly through the beginning of this book. I found it quite hard to, mm. to proceed through at first. Yeah. But do you, do you like those? Do you like the bleak and realistic ones? I, do, I think I do. I mean, I read The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Oof. Yeah, that, I mean, that's bleak. Like, there is, there's no happiness in yeah. that book at all. And I really did like it, but I don't think I could reread it. I think yeah, that's, if you I need a thing. week off work for depression, yeah, yeah, the road yeah. is a good place to start. Yeah. I watched a couple of things, like documentaries, that were really hard. And I found myself in a really mood after it. And I couldn't work it out until I realised I'd just watched two really depressing documentaries in a row. And I was like, I need to watch something nice now. Yeah, yeah. So I think... I think I like it. Like, I like that realness. I like that someone kind of basically paint a picture of what you're worried about. I think it's really nice in some ways. It's really cathartic to see that kind of worry splayed out in a way in which you imagine it. Mm. But at the same time, it's not nice to see your worries, essentially. It's not nice to linger there. Yeah, absolutely. And worries, plural, is, I think, exactly what I found so jarring about Mm. this. A lot of things are kind of a single issue, Okay. So a lot of texts that you read are like, oh, what if this really extreme thing happened? Or yeah. what if this kind of ran away? Whereas this is all of these crises compounded, you yeah. know, and when you're struggling to afford gas and electric bill, like yeah. a lot of people are in the UK yeah. at the moment, to read a book in which water is so scarce yeah. that a lot of people can't afford to live and a thousand dollars will pay for like a week's food. Yeah. That's really frightening. It's really just yeah. yeah, it gets under your skin, man. Absolutely. Uh-huh. So 
within this world mm. is our our walled community i'm just going to have you read a little bit actually because mm-hmm. i think it tells you a little bit about the the dynamics of how society has kind of adjusted mm-hmm. up towards the hills there were walled estates one big house and lots of shaky little dependencies where the servants lived we didn't pass anything like that today in fact we passed a couple of neighborhoods so poor that their walls were made up of unmortared rocks chunks of concrete and trash then there were the pitiful, unwalled residential areas. A lot of the houses were trashed, burned, vandalised, infested with drunks or druggies, or squatted in by homeless families with their filthy, gaunt, half-naked children. So you can hear in that there's like such clear class division, right? You've got the big houses with the servants, you've got our characters who are kind of in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the rest of the country, like these shacky little dependencies. Yeah, I mean, it's grim some of the language that gets used yeah and definitely in the first chunks of this book while we're getting used to the setting mm-hmm. when we're talking about people outside of the walls of our immediate community there's a lot of this language of filth and dirt and disgust kind of similar to do you remember when we read the way the end of days should be yeah and there was the guy who'd prepped for it and felt really good about yeah. himself and thought everyone else was kind of disgusting and awful for, yeah, for not, not having prepared it, yeah. or not having what he had. <laughs> yeah. There's a similar tone to that. And so I think a lot of the beginning of this book is kind of scene setting in that way. You get an mm. idea of the world, you get an idea of the community that our folks are living in. And the community that our folks are living in is not safe, is not perfect. They've got walls, they've got a gate, but but they're living several people to a house i mean like huge families living per house Mm -hmm. they can't afford a lot of stuff they're having to grow food for example rather than buy food like um and that comes with risks and instability yeah yeah early on in this book Mm. the community is the thing that feels a little bit troubling because these are people who are brought together by circumstance rather than necessarily by a unified vision or a unified goal and so there are tensions between different houses. There are things that just don't seem quite right that other people are doing that mm. don't seem within the community's moral code. There are fires that start and people aren't sure if they were started by someone within the community or someone yeah. who climbed over the wall. But that doesn't last for the whole book. Right, okay. <laughs> because once the scene setting is done, once a normality is established, both in the outside world in this time of crisis and within our community, then the plot really starts to develop and it centers around a key character, Lauren Olamina. Mm-hmm. Lauren is a hyper empath, which is why I asked you the would you rather at the beginning. Uh, okay. She can feel what other people physically feel. Right. She says when she was a kid, this was so bad. That if somebody else got punched in the face, her nose would bleed, right? Right. As the book goes on, mm-hmm. this is an ambition a point a key point of ambiguity because <laughs> okay lauren says she is this hyper empath and the book by the way is her diary so we're only okay. seeing it really from her point of okay, view yeah she says she's a hyper empath and certainly it's established that other people have this quote-unquote sharing mm-hmm. but there are plenty of causes to doubt whether right. lauren truly has that yeah. and given that the rest of the book and the crisis in the book are so grounded in reality i think that in itself is kind of a cause for doubt about this hyper empathy yeah. which is the only particularly sci-fi element yeah. to it but anyway lauren lives in this community dad is the pastor pastor mm-hmm. pastor pastor 
Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's something that we. Have it's one of those here, things that, like, because I don't have the American accent, does sound like I'm saying pasta is in the food. Yeah, yeah. Which we're not, but I, I get it. Yeah. Anyway, her dad's preaching. You know. Yeah. <laughs> he's not making spaghetti. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. You got it. I got it. So he's kind of the center of this community to some extent, and you get the idea that whilst. Lauren is kind of comfortable. She's writing this diary and she's prepping for something bad to happen, right? Okay. She's very much of the view that this community can only last so So long. So long, right, okay. And also, whilst all this is going on, she's coming up with her own ideas about the world that are significantly different than what her father is preaching they diverge from christianity i mean quite a little bit like a normal teenage girl i guess growing up in a family with a certain viewpoint you naturally kind of start to diverge and in this kind of setting it would make sense to diverge in that sort of way absolutely and that's certainly how it feels in the beginning Mm. but then her view of this world becomes so defined and so clear at first it kind of feels like she's following following a kind of slightly fantastical route to develop this worldview. Mm. But then it really takes on its own thing. It becomes something. And it's called Earthseed. So she develops okay. this way of thinking called Earthseed. Ah, okay. In which God is change. And I'd love to explain Earthseed to you, but it's very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll believe you on it's, that one. Honestly, it's completely brilliant. It, Octavia Butler, in creating Earthseed, has created like a a very viable post-secular religion. So in a world where religions aren't really as relevant as you want them to be anymore because of all these crises, Lauren comes up with something that I think you could probably do a a really basic creed that just maps it onto Christianity, but it's so much more complicated Mm. and it's so different that I think that would be a a false read. It's it's too comfortable. It's a really complicated thing. And within a half hour podcast, it's a chance at trying to explain all of the different ideas in it. But I think that that matches with the with the world that he's created, right? Because she, Octavia Butler. Sorry, because you think religion often does in terms of its its values and its belief. It reflects, you know, on what the important issues are that are happening at that point. And in this world that we're talking about here there is a lot of stuff going on so you know to build something in which once you to have faith and to have belief in something you need to cover all the aspects in which someone might start doubting which yeah. is a lot there so i can see why something a belief in that kind of world would need to be quite complicated yeah and, and what what you've hit upon there is brilliant because you've said like oh people might start doubting so you need to cover the bases and I think that's exactly the fine line that Earthseed walks throughout this book. It never fully yeah. comes down either side of it, is that it starts as something that really does feel like a, a cause for hope. Mm-hmm. But then as the book develops and as Earthseed develops, it naturally has to become a bit more cynical because mm-hmm. for other people to believe in it, which is the natural next step, yeah, you do need to cover objections. And at that point, it's not, quite so authentic it's more right what are the problems and how do i fix them mm-hmm. that's a lot more plotted you know that's yeah, a lot more yeah. thought through and so i think that kind of sets up more or less where we are in the in the novel which is the first half gives us the world gives us the community gives us lauren and then about halfway through i think mm-hmm. once we've established this sense of normality the community is burned down oh gosh 
And at this point, it becomes a kind of road trip novel. <laughs> so okay. I'll Lauren, go, I'll go Lauren escapes it. along with two other people from the community who up okay. to this point we haven't really had any introduction to. Mm-hmm. The other people that we know in the community, we don't know what's happened to them. There are stories and reports. Someone thinks that they saw someone get taken or trapped in a burning building or whatever, mm-hmm. but we don't know. And so we've got this band of three people who by circumstance are forced together and they decide that all they can really do is walk the road north They've heard that in the north there are jobs that pay real money um, okay. because one of the big problems uh, in the south is that there are a lot of company towns setting up who will not pay money but will let you work for them in exchange for room and board because uh, those things okay. are so scarce. Yeah. There's a debate early in the book about whether they're a scam or a genuinely useful thing. Yeah. Of course, that's a, a callback to history. Like yep. company towns are a pretty atrocious thing. Yeah. To, anyway, um, <laughs> I'm getting sidetracked by things that I decided not to cover because it's too detailed. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, a good sign that there's so much in yeah. this book. Yeah. So they start walking the road north and the rest of the novel, I guess, chronicles two things. The first is their journey and the things and people that they come across, the situations that they come across. Because within the community, we haven't seen really what life on the outside is like. We've had that idea of it being disgusting or dirty or awful. Mm -hmm. But then now it's reality, right? Now Lauren is in it and now Lauren has to make her way through it. So we get to see a lot more of what the outside is like. And of course, it's more diverse than we were led to believe. Things in some cases are much worse than we thought and in some cases are much better than we thought. So that's part one is the journey that they take. And the other thing that happens is that Earthseed really begins to grow. And the more people that Lauren speaks to along the way mm-hmm. and invites to join their group, the more Earthseed kind of takes root uh, okay. as a, not quite a religion, but more of a basis for their little community. Okay, like rules to live by kind of thing. Rules to live by. And at this point, so I mean... In terms of where we are in the book, we're maybe two thirds the way through and suddenly the title is starting to become clear because Lauren is walking through the country, picking up disciples along the way right? Yeah, and just slowly but surely embedding this idea of Earthseed. What's interesting here is there's another cause. Well, I was going to say a cause for doubt for Lauren's mm-hmm. hyperempathy, but I'm not, I don't know how much of a cause for doubt it is versus how much of a justification it is because up until now, her hyper-empathy has been present, but it's not been like a key thing. Whereas now that she's on the road, the hyper-empathy means that she's not much good in a fight. She's pretty oh. up for a fight. God, yeah, I, I think that should think be said. That. But she's not much good in a fight. So mm. she can shoot someone and take them down, but then she feels like she's died. Right, so that's her passed out and done for the rest of it, you know? Right. Yeah. But she then as well, like, got to feel everyone else's as well. Like, if everyone else is fighting, she's going to, man, that would suck. <laughs> yeah, so very often in a fight sequence, she will start out <laughs> all guns blazing and then just pass out and wake up later, you know. Whoop, now I'm done. <laughs> yeah, so there's an argument there for it being a real thing. Mm. But then also, these episodes seem to happen very conveniently so that, ah. I don't know, so that, she can kind of bring people in and share this idea of, oh, I'm a hyper empath and I share feelings. I'm sharing a secret with you and therefore building trust. And also, okay. if I've gone down in a fight, I kind of need protecting, right? Like, I see. I'm not above it because yeah. I joined in. But then when it started, I couldn't 
continue continue and so you guys needed to do the work yeah it's really interesting and there are little bits in it obviously it's lauren's diary so we don't see this too much but there are little bits in it where one of her companions on the road will say something about how she's not trustworthy or she's really sneaky or manipulative Mm. and it'll just be a little glancing passing mention but because you're reading her diary you haven't thought of her as manipulative at all and so when she mentions that someone else has said it it just sows a little seed of doubt in your mind yeah. about the veracity of what Lauren what she's is telling you. Doing, yeah. yeah, precisely. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I think also it should be said that whether Lauren's hyper empathy is real or not, she truly believes it. Okay. I don't think there's any room for doubt that Lauren is putting it on. Mm. But I think it's a delusion that serves her well rather yeah. than an actual affliction yeah almost like um a self-fulfilling prophecy in Mm. a way that someone believes something so much than it just is yeah a well-chosen phrase (laughs) um because i I, I think that's how the novel then unfolds and people are are reluctant at first to buy into this idea of earthseed a lot of people are reluctant to join the group and they're much more reluctant when they find out it's an ideology. There's a suspicion like, oh, so you're a cult? Yeah. No, 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 not at all. You don't have to believe it. Just, you know, walk with us. We'll keep each other safe. But then slowly but surely it builds. And as we get towards the end of the book, I think this is probably the place for the spoiler warning because I'm going to talk about how that develops and, and how we get into the end. If you're up to this point, you can still read the book and get tons out of it. I've skipped so much. Yeah. I mean, there's heaps in this. But there's a point getting towards the end of the book where somebody questions Earthseed and Lauren is kind of on the edge of the group and answers the question. But then other people in the group start chipping in with the answer as well. Okay. Um, you know, it doesn't question it like doubting it, but like asks a question. Oh, so if we believe this, what does it mean for this? Right. And then one of the other people in the group answers and then somebody else advances that okay. answer and advances that. And you start to feel like Earthseed is now something that's evolving, right? It's not just Lauren's ideas that people are taking yeah. on, but it's kind of beginning a bit of a life of its own. Yeah. Interestingly, the book ends on quite a positive note. Okay. Yeah, it's bleak all the way through. Right. But there is a little bit of hope that it finishes with. So Interesting. As they're walking north and they've gathered this group, I've just stopped there because I'm thinking about, I think there might be 12 people following her by the end okay that's all right number that's a good that's a good start i mean it's it's the number isn't it of disciples oh, of course of right course. i oh, i wow. think i think i could be wrong i haven't no, I counted think, but I that feels right. right anyway <laughs> <laughs> um so uh yeah so as they're heading up north one of the group mentions that he's not actually heading all the way north he's got his family on a little plot of land where he's pretty sure they're secure and he wants to stop there and, and be with them right. when they get to that plot of land his family are not there the house is burned down Aww. it's a pretty devastating little scene but the note of hope that we end on is that our group decide to kind of set up shop there okay and decide to be a community and build their community okay. in that space that's the little kind of ray of hope that we've got so we've got Lauren's idea, which has developed through all this Mm -hmm. travel on the road. We've got our characters who there is magnificent character development, which I just don't have time to talk about (laughs) because I'm trying to cover all of the plot. And then, yeah, we've got this idea of settlement at the end. I'll have you actually read a bit. This is from, I think, the second to last page of the book. And it does really well to sum up the note that we finish on. Okay. 
You know, as bad as things are, we haven't hit the bottom yet. Starvation, disease, drug damage and mob rule have only begun. Federal, state and local governments still exist, in name at least. And sometimes they do manage to do something more than collect taxes and send in the military. And the money is still good. That amazes me. However much more you need of it to buy anything these days, it is still accepted. That may be a hopeful sign. Perhaps it's just more and more evidence of what I said. We haven't hit the bottom yet. That's excellent, isn't it? Oofed. Yeah, yeah oofed is exactly right. <laughs> but within that is this this acknowledgement that things aren't as bad mm. as they could be, right? Mm-hmm. And I think where the book ends, I think that quote does well to say, look, things could well get worse, mm-hmm. but where we are, it feels like things as bad as yeah. all that. Yeah. Know? It's a really weird i mean you couldn't just do a ha- you couldn't just stick a happy ending on the book so i think yeah. that does really well to just ride just out off. the negativity but, but that isn't isn't that kind of what we do also in reality with ourselves like we talk about the energy bills and what have you but then you know someone will go well at least you still have a roof over your head and at least you have any access to the nhs at least yeah you live in a in a country that has human rights you know th- that is what we do we do complain but we go it's not quite time to riot yet because we still have access to healthcare and schools and all of that. So, yeah, that, that feels really, I don't know, poignant and, and quite kind of hard-hitting because, yeah, that is exactly what we do is we take something and go, well, it could get worse. Yeah. I was thinking just the other day, actually, I was thinking about how strained public services are. And then the thought was in my head like, yeah, but you know what? As long as libraries are still going, I think we'll be okay. Like it. <laughs> Libraries are my that. canary in the coal mine. You know? I, I love that I said I said the NHS and you said libraries. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but like, I don't know. I think libraries are um, easily mappable onto what we've just read because yeah. his, the character there is saying the money's still good. No matter how much more of it you need to buy anything, the money's still good. And I, I feel like my rationalization in that crisis thought was, I mean, they're closing the libraries, but the libraries are still there, you know? You do hang on yeah, to that little bit of I hope, get, don't you? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And like, yeah, because I was thinking the, the other day and I was like, but I can still do what I want to do. And I think that was what caught me is like thinking about all these, I don't know, these places where, you know, even just doing what we're doing right now recording this podcast would be unattainable so yeah yeah it was really it was really poignant it's very good it's very good last little kind of nugget there yeah yeah it's (laughs) it's so powerful the whole book is just an immensely powerful bit there Mm. is a second book parable of the talents which i'm keen to read but haven't done yet okay honestly i could have talked about parable of the sower for hours man i haven't gone into detail about any of the characters i've really just mentioned lauren yeah i haven't gone into detail about anything that happens to them along the road (laughs) there are so many themes and complexities and there's Mm. so many difficult human situations that i haven't even touched upon because i've been talking about the bigger picture Mm. this is a complex and well thought out and brilliantly written book it will give you so much to think about it's not easy right yeah because you are struggling through it because it feels so real and because it feels so Mm. immediate but i think that does give it a kind of urgency and the fact that it's set three years away from now is yeah really dread inspiring yeah yeah it is is. it's like oh it's not kind of a million miles away from what it is now yeah right (laughs) right it's horrifying but it's excellent yeah uh, yeah i think 
I need to wrap up there because mm-hmm. if I start going into other bits, <laughs> I will talk for hours and hours. But Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler. I'm hoping that the sequel when I read it lives up to how much I loved this book. Excellent. So recommend? Strong recommend. Fab. What are we doing next time? You're watching... Uh, Downsizing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is... I watched it again. I watched it when it came out. I rewatched it recently. Still kind of the same thoughts of when I watched it recently. So um, I'll tell you all about them next week. (laughs) I look forward to it. (laughs) Thanks for listening to What Next? The Future Fiction Podcast. Be a part of our collective future by visiting futurepod.co.uk. You'll find reading lists and release dates for all of our upcoming episodes, as well as ways to get involved. Whatever the future holds, let's go there together.